Let's open our Bibles to Luke 23. And coincidentally, I worked it out, timed it out that um, timed it that we would finish up right on my last Sunday. Uh, next week. We'll be in Luke 24, the Great Commission. But today we're in Luke 23 uh, that gives us a snapshot of the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, everything that we are talking about of us having an intimate relationship with the Lord is made possible by the cross of Christ. Because it's there at the cross that the thing which separated us from God, our sin, was paid for, the debt was paid, and the very thing that would keep us from being intimate with God, our own sin, when we ask the Lord to forgive us of our sins, we are cleansed. And we are then brought into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I want to kind of explain and describe this series of events that leads up to the cross. And then next week is the resurrection. But Jesus was led through a series of trials. He was betrayed by Judas and then led through a series of trials that were were on the surface intended to investigate who he was. But really, it was to find fault with him. And they would question him. Different people would question him. But in questioning and investigating Jesus, you and I are brought with face-to-face with the fact that we have to make a decision. If I'm going to look at who Jesus is, what am I going to do with what I find out? I'm convicted by who he is. And if I don't want to repent of my sins, then I start excusing myself. I start, well, making excuses for why maybe Jesus really isn't the son of God. And I start trying to get out of it. And Paul talks about that in Romans. Either I accept the conviction or I justify myself and then weasel out of it so I can get back to my old life. I remember clearly when I was on a missions trip in England, we would go to a pub in this small town in the northern part of England where teenagers Teenagers would go to this pub, and they weren't supposed to be in this pub, but we would go hang out with them and tell them about the Lord. And I remember this young girl said to me, uh, she almost yelled it in the pub, do you mean if I believe in Jesus, then I have to give up drinking and drugs and sex? And she said it in this strong Yorkshire accent. And I thought, What am I going to say? It was so clear in her mind, if I believe in Jesus, I have to give up these other things. And I said, yes, that's what it means. And the next day, she accepted the Lord as her Savior. 
You can't bring those things in. Now, here's the thing. Those things that were exciting for a moment, they end up harming your life. They end up causing pain and despair and depression. So why are we holding on to things that are hurting us? As they begin questioning Jesus, the soldiers covered his head and said, if you are a prophet, then tell us who struck you. The high priest said, if you are the Christ, tell us. Jesus says, even if I tell you, you won't believe me. Pilate said, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, it is as you say. But Pilate then said, well, I don't find any fault with him and sent Jesus back to Herod. Once, once he heard that, that Jesus was from Herod's jurisdiction, he goes, well, then that's not, well, that's not my jurisdiction and sent him back to Herod. Now, Herod was curious about Jesus, but really just because he wanted to see a miracle. Everybody wants to see a miracle. It doesn't mean they want to believe in Jesus. He was curious, but it was there that the soldiers whipped Jesus with a scourge. And it doesn't fully explain what that meant in the Bible. The Romans questioned criminals with this whipping, the 40 lashes. And because they were merciful, it would be 39 lashes. And that would be the flagellum, a leather strips embedded with pieces of metal, bone, and glass. Not just leather straps. And every time that lash went across a criminal's back, it would grab at the flesh and rip open the back of that person being questioned. And that meant by 39 lashes, the back would be so ripped apart, you could typically see the inner organs. Remember, Jesus is enduring this in your place because you and I are the criminals. Even if they are sentenced to crucifixion, often, Criminals would die before crucifixion purely because of the loss of blood. The soldiers whipped him, questioned him, then put a purple robe on him, mocking him as the king. Because everyone knew he claimed to be the king of the Jews. Put the robe on him, which then dried to his back in that blood and sends him back to Pilate. Pilate declares Jesus to be innocent, but he doesn't want to make a decision. He is a typical politician. Now, there's a tradition during the feast time, it's Passover, remember, and as a benevolent ruler, he decides to follow this tradition of releasing a criminal to the crowds. And so Pilate offers up Two criminals who could be released. Jesus is one, and who is the other? Barabbas. And so, this benevolent ruler, I'm not going to judge. Don't we know people like that today? I'm not going to judge. I'm going to let people decide for themselves. And he knew exactly 
that Jesus was innocent and Barabbas was the convicted criminal. Here's what we know about Barabbas from Josephus, the historian, is that Barabbas' first name was Jesus. Now remember, Jesus means God is salvation. It's the Greek version of Joshua, which is the short for Jehoshua, meaning, or Jehovah Hashua, which means God is salvation. Here is a criminal named Jesus, God is salvation. His last name is Barabbas, which means son of the father. Here is this substitute Jesus, son of the father, and that's the one people choose. And so Barabbas becomes one of the many types of the Antichrist in the Bible. They chose Jesus, but the wrong one. From there, a criminal would have to carry the crossbeam of the cross to the hill called Golgotha or Calvary is the name of the hill where Jesus died, where they crucified. That crossbeam was heavy. He was weak from the, from the scourging. And so a Roman soldier could legally compare someone else to carry the cross of Jesus. And so a Roman soldier grabbed a man out of the crowd named Simon. He was in the Bible, Simon of Cyrene. You might have heard of that before. Now, here is a man who has traveled. Cyrene is in the northern tip of Africa, Libya, an African man. We don't know if he was African or a Jew living in that part of the world. We're not really told, but it could have been anything. He's traveled over 800 miles to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. A man who has come for a religious feast and ends up carrying the cross for Jesus. We believe he became a believer because he is mentioned by both Paul and Mark as someone that the church would know. Mark 15.31 and Romans 16.13. The crowds have gathered to watch the execution of three men, Jesus and the two, a criminal on each side of him. People are weeping because everyone knows of the injustice of the execution of Jesus Christ. But Jesus says, weep for yourselves for the judgment that is coming. This is bad, what he's going through, but something worse is coming on the world. At 9 a.m., they arrive at Golgotha or Calvary, which means the place of the skull, because that's, that's what it looked like. Jesus is nailed to the cross he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And it's at that moment, as Jesus is the sin bearer, bearing the sins of the world, that the Father turns away from him, can't look on the sin upon his shoulders. The soldiers are gambling over Jesus' garments. 
The rulers said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. So they're almost flinging that out. Look, he can't really be. He can't really be the son of God, or obviously he would get down off the cross. But they don't realize in order to save others, he can't come off the cross. Jesus is choosing to stay on the cross. The soldiers mocked. They said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. We know about the two criminals. One said, if you are the Christ, save yourself. Everybody is saying, if you are actually the Christ, save yourself. The other soldier said, or the other criminal, excuse me, said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you today, you will you will be with me in paradise. That's all it took for that man to be born again. And that really puts an end to any religious argument that we can be saved by works. Because what work could this man do? Jesus didn't say, well, You could be born again, but you would have to get down off the cross and go be baptized or go do good works or go do these things or go apologize to everyone you've ever hurt or offended. I love these little snapshots in the Bible that settle age-old arguments. And what I want you to know is if you have ever have ever, and we all do struggle with not being good enough, don't we? Am I really a child of God? I'm not good enough. Have I been good enough? What is the answer? No, you're not good enough. You and I are just like that criminal hanging on the cross that said, Lord, will you remember me in your kingdom? And the Lord says, yes. Assuredly, I say yes. We are saved by faith without works, lest anyone should should boast. Because you see, if it was faith plus works, then you can count on it. I would be telling everyone what I had done on my part to be saved. Wouldn't you? Because you're pretty awesome. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 Romans 4, Luke 23, salvation is by faith alone. Is there any sin that's too great to be forgiven? I know that's a trick question. I said, Cassie, you said no. There's one sin. What is the, we we would call it the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. What is it? It is rejecting Jesus Christ. That is the one sin. Why? Because it's the Holy Spirit that draws us to Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts you of sin, that reveals who Jesus is to you. And if you reject that, then that cannot be forgiven 
if you're trying to say, I reject that, but I'm going to get saved another way, there isn't another way. And that's kind of foolish. And I, I think I shared maybe last week, that would be like you having a terminal illness and you go to your doctor and your doctor says, good news, there is this one remedy for what you have. And is there anybody here who would say, well, that is so narrow-minded to say that there is only one remedy for my terminal illness? Doesn't that sound silly? No, I don't care. Tell me exactly what it is, and I will take it, I will do it, and I'm not going to argue with it with you about this. And so when God says, believe on my son, this is the good news. It's good news because every other attempt at salvation has failed. And so this is the good news. You talk to your doctor and he goes, good news. There is a new medication on the market. This is it. Good news. I'm not arguing with my doctor. Let's not argue with the Bible. At the sixth hour or 12 noon, there was darkness over the face of the earth until three in the afternoon. So that's three hours in the middle of the day. There is darkness. Now, people argue, critics say, well, it was an eclipse. But Passover was during a full moon, and it couldn't have been an eclipse. Jesus cries out the final statements from the cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he knows the father has turned away. Jesus says, I thirst as his body is giving out under the, the process of crucifixion. He declares it is finished which you have probably heard is the original language, tetelestai, which could also be translated paid in full. I, I love that about studying the Bible. It is finished also means paid in full. So you should be asking what is paid in full? The sins of the world. The debt for your sin, it's paid. Here's a funny question. Is any of you ever had any debt ever in your life? You all look away from me at that moment. If someone calls you one day and says, now, how much was that debt you had to pay? I want to pay it off. Would you say yes? Now, how many of you, after that debt is paid, would keep sending in a payment? I want you to know that your debt is paid, so you are free. Stop living under the weight of a guilt as if there is sin against you. There's not. There's not. Now, you and I remember what we have done, and we still continue to sin. But the blood of Christ continues to cleanse us of our sin. What's the difference between sin before our salvation and sin after our salvation? It's this. 
that the sin we committed before our salvation controlled and ruled over our lives. Sin that we commit now does not rule us unless we allow it to. You are not in bondage to sin anymore unless you choose to be. But you are free. So live like a free person. Jesus finally says, Father, into thy hands, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Now, Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it up again. So people think, well, Jesus was a victim. He was not a victim. He willingly laid down his life for you. And even in the physical cause of his death, there on the cross, Jesus gave up his spirit. It means he chose when his body would quit. It is a feast day, so the Jews and the Jewish rulers are are badgering the Roman rulers to get the bodies off the cross and buried quickly before sundown because of the Jewish holiday. And crucifixion, uh, the death by crucifixion would typically take several days. Could you imagine those being crucified, hanging on a cross for two or three days before they would actually die? The cross through the the wrist, the two bones, uh, the nail through the two bones and the wrist, and then they would cross the feet and put a single nail through both feet. And the entire weight would be hanging, pulling down, uh, pulling joints out of the socket. And everything internally is pushing down on the diaphragm. So those hanging on the cross can't breathe. And the only way they can get a breath is to push down on that nail through both feet, lift the weight off the diaphragm, take a deep breath, and then collapse again on the cross. So typically, death on the cross would be by suffocation. But to hurry the death, the soldiers would come along and with a a rod, break the legs of those hanging on the cross so they can't push down on that nail. They broke the legs of the two criminals. When they came to Jesus, he was already dead. By his own choosing. And so to verify that he was dead, what did the soldier do? put the spear through his side. And the Bible says that out from his side came an issue of water mixed with blood. That tells us that Jesus' heart ruptured and it filled the pericardial sac with that mixture of water and blood. That's the physical cause of Jesus' death, a ruptured heart or a broken heart. For all of those watching these sequence of events, they came to the conclusion Jesus actually was the Son of God. 
Because who could endure all of that and endure that suffering in the way that Jesus did? A centurion watching nearby glorified God and said, certainly this was a righteous man. Simon of Cyrene, who had to carry the cross, the criminal hanging next to Jesus, the centurion, centurion standing by the cross, all confessed Jesus was the Son of God. Luke finally tells us that it was a man named Joseph of Arimathea. He asked for, he was a ruler of the Jews, a wealthy man, but he had become a believer and he had asked for the body of Jesus. They took the body down, prepared the body for burial, which if my memory serves me right, it was Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that partnered with Joseph of Arimathea and they, two wealthy men, prepared the body for burial and had Jesus put in Joseph's own tomb, which was cut out of, out of the stone rock. And only the wealthy had stone, stone tombs like that cut out of the rock side. And I believe it was, it was Nicodemus that paid for the spices would have been very, very expensive. And as you watch all of this, you cannot help but see the plain evidence of who Jesus is. Even for me to go through everything I did this morning, you know, I'm fully aware this is not a typical Sunday morning sermon. It's not. But God forbid, I would just hit a few highlights and say, oh, don't you know God loves you and Jesus died for your sins? There's way more for you to know than would you like to believe in Jesus? Because all of these people were convicted. They were confused or they claimed to be confused. They had to make a decision. And when you look at the record, you remember Luke said at the very beginning, he was writing an accurate account from eyewitnesses. This isn't a fluffy religious poem or fictional story. This is the compilation of eyewitnesses. And so you and I are faced with a decision. Am I one of his followers or not? Do I believe in Jesus or not? And there are more things in the Bible that are hard to believe. The Bible tells us that a judgment is coming on the world. And we saw that in the last chapter, Luke 22 of the signs of the condition of the world whenever the Lord is coming again. Have you noticed again, war, famine, deadly diseases, earthquakes? It's all happening. It's all happening in front of our eyes. It's either exciting or troubling, depending on whether you're willing to hear it. 
and pay attention. So I will say there's no time to lose. All of us need to get busy. In in your area of influence and the people around you, are you reflecting the character of God in your life? Because we looked at Jesus and saw the heart of the Father. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. And now the truth is Jesus looks at the disciples and us and says, now you go do likewise. Well, I didn't sign up for the suffering part. I signed up for the exciting part. But you can, you can endure whatever the Lord has called you to do. Let's stand together. And today as we close the service, I don't want to be in a hurry, maybe do a a song or a couple of songs, but let's just take a minute to wait on the Lord. Is revival coming to your life? Do you need revival in your life? It means to bring back to life something that has has died or gone to sleep. Do you need to return back to your first love? We in the church are so susceptible of losing our love for the Lord, aren't we? And I just want to encourage you to look again at what the Lord did for you because he loves you. He endured that suffering. But the crisis of the cross brings us through to a new life.